0: Welcome back to another episode of Accidental Apprentice Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Nicole and Molly, the facilitators and instructors of the Skilled Trade Employment Pathway, or STEP program, done in partnership with OCNI, the Organization of Canadian Nuclear Industries. This STEP project is aiming to create awareness of technical jobs in Ontario's nuclear industry. And looks to provide pre-employment soft skill training to help secure employment into long-term employment and further training opportunities within industrial trade apprenticeships. As we delve into the STEP program and what sets it apart and what the goals of the program are, we also spend time talking about Nicole and Molly, who they are, their HR backgrounds, the fact that Nicole actually started a college, and their focus on the humanities and helping people fit into careers that will not only be fulfilling but provide them the best opportunities to be successful we talk about generational divides how the skills around communication can build bridges across those divides and we get into a lot of conversations around workplace diversity and inclusion this is a packed episode i was fortunate to have nicole and molly for the first half of the episode Due to some scheduling, unfortunately I lost Nicole halfway through the episode. But Molly did not hold back and she filled in that space and brought us a lot of neat conversations from her diverse background in HR and the skill trades. So, without any further ado, sit down, relax, and settle in for a great conversation from Molly and Nicole, facilitators and instructors for the Skill Trade Employment Pathway or STEP program in the Durham region in partnership with OCI. Welcome to another episode of Accidental Apprentice, Odd Jobs Explored, with your host, Adam Meltzer. Uh, my introduction, you guys have listened. Yes. Which is like, I think you're the first guest in a while that I've actually listened. So, and oh. you're here because yeah, right I've had guests who have listened and then they don't email back. Oh, so the no. positive experience is that you're here. We like the raw. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So you recognize that there's no formal introduction. I mess that up every time. Mm-hmm. It's just Appreciate this cup of coffee. So I'm here with Nicole and Molly. Who are you guys and why do I have you here?
1: Um, why we're I here? is to, I guess, talk about what we've learned, what we know, what we um, recognize as barriers and in, in the pathway for skills development for youth of all ages, whether it be related to um, skill development trades or whatever trade, right?
2: Well, that's Nicole. She's she's an all-encompassing um, for, for any career path. Um, she started 25 years ago basically advocating and, and teaching and just putting her all into making other people successful when they already had the basic tools, um, but needed just further encouragement, motivation, confidence, um, just helping to align them together. So I think, if anything, you should probably start with all the amazing stuff that you did do. She was a dean of a college hold that on. she created.
0: Okay, hold on. Okay, we back this up. Okay. So, Nicole, you, yeah. okay, what do you currently do right now? What are you two ladies doing right now, this project that we're on right now?
2: The STEP project?
0: The STEP project, yeah.
2: So, the Skilled Trades Employment Pathway is a avenue for um, youth, Indigenous, and women, um, Hooray, we just got approval to actually uh, focus on women above 30 as well because our cap was, uh, our age cap was at 30 for the longest time, but we've since been able to um, improve that. Anyways, so the skilled trades employment pathway is focused on getting youth, indigenous, and women to the actual trade. There's There's so much communication that's been put out there whether email or vocal but then it stops the program stops the website ends it says this no longer exists it's been you know one day it's the ministry um that's heading the 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 charge and then the next it's the ontario training commission you know what i mean like it's just it's never a consistent source so along those breaks uh along the way nobody was standing in the middle saying let me bridge that gap for you let me help you you don't need a sponsor in the first year of college, but you do definitely need one before, um, before, before you get an apprenticeship um, uh, sponsorship, right? So bridging them to employers is what we do. But some people do come to us and don't have the have the education. They don't know what trade they really, truly want. They know they're great with their hands and they love building things and pride of work. Um, and academics aren't, aren't their thing, but we also career path them. So we stick with them. We leave no person in limbo. It, and there's thousands of them in limbo. And that's really why we got in, involved here.
0: Okay, so that's that really sums up nicely what you guys are doing. So then let me start, I'll start with you, Nicole, because I know time isn't necessarily on our side. How did you get here?
1: Um, well, I started in HR. I went to university for economics and finance and then added on with HR and then policy development, government level. Um, and I landed a position with the community industrial training committees, so they were in charge of all the federal and provincial training dollars across Ontario and in every individual province, and we put on probably 126 training programs a year on that training budget, which is now divvied out by the federal and provincial level of governments to uh, various numbers of youth development to paying tuition for individuals that are at risk. Um, and so after I did that, I was started up a college and, and I, would, I developed the tendering process that's used by the Skills Canada today. So, so after I did that, I would, now I'm in a college environment and, and it was a private college, so, so it's a little bit different than the yeah. publicly funded ones. And we um, put out the tenders and it was really easy to do the tenders and the proposals for those tenders because I helped design them. And we got, I think it was 4 million in, in tenders in the first four months at the college. and But what I, I was a hands-on person, so I didn't like uh, not engaging the students, right? So it wasn't a, I was very open door, so I'd go teach classes. I would go sit in and monitor, but I also tried to talk to every individual that was applying and find out why, what's your passion, is this something that you've researched, you know? And the problem that I found is that they're pushing these programs so much to, to youth and saying, give us your money. And it became that to me. That's what I, I saw. Give me your money. Give me your tuition money. Take this medical assistant program. And there's no jobs. There's no opportunity. They're going to go in debt, and they're going to be making less than minimum wage. You know, it's, it's, It wasn't good. And I like to sleep at night. So, <laughs> so I decided this is not for me because they would come to me and say, Here's my money, and I'd say no, don't give it to me because there's no jobs in this program, you know, and because I wouldn't sell it. So I decided that I don't want to uh, do something that doesn't make me feel good, and at the end of the day, and, and doesn't bring my passion out of me. So I so I left that position and started um, my own company, and that was in '99, I think. So since '99, I've been designing and developing training and development programs for youth, and I've dealt with youth at risk. I also did an entrepreneurial one where I've mentored over 280 business startups, which some are employers that we use 15 years later to hire youth at risk.
0: Well, yeah. um, aside from the selfish nature of probably wanting to be on with that uh, conversation for uh, entrepreneurial business startups and guidance, so just check that box for later. Um, <laughs> I. Can second the view that the college system, unfortunately, is getting a, is getting a bit of a bad rap. And, and we can debate on whether it was uh, self-performance or the outside uh, looking in kind of idea. But they are becoming a, a business, an economy. Yes. And uh, yeah. it's a, it, there's lots of advantages to being economy. But the clear disadvantage is that they are not partnering with industry yeah. to help design their programs. This is a, a common fault. I mean, I, you talked about taking programs that were hot topics. I was listening to a, a podcast. I said, listen to other podcasts. I was listening to a podcast on the way in today, and I was laughing because they were talking about how everyone needs to be focused on this um, aging population and that we look at um, you know, care-type roles. And so whether it's uh, you know, uh, personal support workers, recreation, leisure, this type of world, I'm going, hold on a second. Um, when I was in college in the year 2000, that's the same thing you told me. I took record leisure because this is what you told me would needed to be done, and yeah. there was no jobs then. Yeah. So why would we believe you now? Is it just because it was long enough you expect us to not listen anymore and you're just got the same conversation again? Is yeah. enrollment dropped in these programs, or you're just pushing those programs? Yes We've yes. lost Yeah, we've lost <laughs> the ability to say that um, you, your authenticity and your message isn't there because there's no guaranteed success that post-secondary is going to get you a job. Right. and I think a lot of things there's really no guarantee success but but we like to see guaranteed at least opportunities yeah. and you guys are less speaking to a lot of that and that yes. seems to be kind of what STEP has come to be
1: well and, and how STEP really started to was um, I run a, a youth employment readiness program um, and we deal with a lot of people uh, I would say probably 70% of the participants have a post-secondary degree some have double master degrees in in engineering and they come and come to this sessions every day for 9 weeks just to build up the confidence skills the communication skills how to how to network how to how to get engaged but what i also found and where the step came into play is that i had a lot of individuals in the uh, program who were interested in trades well the typical youth employment readiness program doesn't doesn't teach to those people that want to work with their hands they don't care to write paragraphs and essays about what the goals and objectives are or develop a personal success plan they want to work with their hands so the dropout rate for people in the programming in youth employment readiness or youth employment programs across durham were dropping out they wouldn't complete the program because it was in their wheel set they couldn't handle it so i was complaining about this and like and seeing these Great individuals not being able to go through the typical program because it's geared towards the 80% of the participants, and um, I I uh, was talking to Molly about it and complaining and saying we gotta we gotta find a pathway we gotta fill these holes, and she's super passionate about skilled trades, which is I'm sort of all encompassing. She's skilled trades, and so and then I bumped into Ron. The president of OCNI at a trade event in Ajax, Pickering, board of trade, and with a glass of wine, and said, "You know," and I think I started complaining again, but I only just <laughs> ha- I only just had this conversation with Molly the week before, so it was like really in my mindset, like so it just blurted out at Ron, and he goes, "This is perfect," and then of course probably within a week the the proposal fell in my lap through my email about apply for this. And then Molly and I sat down and designed the program. And and then we had now business, trade, HR specialism, and then whatever I do. Program <laughs> <laughs> facilitation. Yeah, uh,
0: put it all together by the sounds of it. So this, this sounds like this is a bit of your passion, what you enjoy to do mm-hmm. and, and helping others find yeah. what they want to do and, yeah. and to <clears throat> be consistent and thorough in getting them the opportunities
1: to... and the tools and yeah that, yeah
0: so is this what you always wanted to do
1: no no okay no. so what did you I, I wanted to uh, actually be the very first female mounted policewoman oh
0: okay <laughs> yeah that was that someone across... beat me to it I was gonna say was that like a thing that you wanted to do then looked it up and found out there already was one or no
1: there wasn't one so I could have actually done it and I wrote the test but I was still in university at the time when I wrote all the tests and And, uh, and then I moved away, so I never actually followed up and yeah, but that was my initial passion way back when 15. So there's still the
0: helping people part is in there, but, but other than that, that's probably the only similarity. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ride a horse to work now? Yeah, I would if I could. She was totally into horses. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) Start linking it all together. Okay. Well, that's an interesting concept. So you went, so in university you had that offshoot, I maybe want to do something completely different. Yes. And how did that did that impact what you were doing at the time? Did make it make any changes or did you still just continue on that pathway anyhow?
1: HR was my 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 fallback, right? All through university and I figured I think it was a year later the first female mounted police woman sort of got the gig. So I kind of moved on to HR and so you, then fell into HR. Kind of deals with people, right? And right. and I wasn't challenged enough in my you know, my intake. I worked for Cubecore, right? So it was like one of the largest printing companies in Canada. So, I, I just thought it was like the same everyday, kind of wasn't. It didn't inspire me. I think I was bored after two months when I started. So you worked
0: in like a true office environment, like yeah. tucked away in the office. All these personalities, but you're not tied into the the yeah. world of work at all. No, no, no. no. Be very misleading, right? Yeah. And uh, in in post secondary training or your education, did they? Did you think they prepared you in a way that made sense? That going into the field, or do you feel that was maybe not?
1: Well, I, I, I went to college first. Okay. So, business admin, accounting. I like numbers, so it's a little weird. You know, I like people and numbers. So, it, got, it does
0: go hand in hand, though.
1: Sometimes, but some people go, wait. Um, but, anyways, I, uh, I did college first, and, and I just didn't feel like I had enough. So, I did university after that, but I went to an American university. So, I had to take anthropology. You know, study the solar system and reclining chairs and and golf one hundred and one. So it was a little bit different than what you get in Canada. So I didn't mind university, but the it certainly wasn't as practical. Like what I really learned actually came out of college. Like your common sense, you know, your communication, your presentation skills. I don't think in university I did one stand up presentation, but I did in college. Well, there's
0: a there's a skill gap, mm-hmm. like right? The ability to communicate. We'll get into that a little bit later, but. Yeah, you feel so start, and you started a college. There's, I needed like a bio on you before I came. There's a <laughs> lot to unpack. That's unbelievable. The That's idea, remarkable. like, just starting a college, like, yeah, I'm just gonna just you just how did that in your mind become a thing? And like, did you have supports for that?
1: No, I actually found the facility built, but I mean, there was it was a subsidiary kind of of. A college so I oh, kind of had a That makes right? it so much
0: easier. But yeah.
1: you know from the building to the setup I even designed computer desks before they came out that had the glass tops on them that you kind of typed from here and looked down so there's nothing blocking you from the instructor. So right down to having all those built by a carpenter like to build it up and I mean it was it was full facility we actually had to add on within a year it was packed but it had the hands-on it had the you know, where you weren't a number, you were, you know, kind of studied and looked after, and
0: so then you got you. You must have an opinion on this then. With Amazon and Google now, uh, they're really pushing this concept of not wanting to hire people with post-secondary degrees, but they actually are in the conversation of developing an apprenticeship yeah. for coding and for. What do you think of that concept? Of an
1: apprenticeship for coding?
0: Yeah, for taking away a traditional <clears throat> post-secondary academic type. Um, education system that was traditionally used to create those roles. Yeah. And it's flipping it on its head, essentially, yeah. to say, let's make it an apprenticeship. Don't yeah. even bother going to post-secondary. Yeah. Just get hired and let's go.
1: Yeah, Does that so, make sense? It does make sense for, for not everything, but for a lot. And and the problem is that nobody, it's such a busy system, messed up and rules and regulations that they have to jump through and they have to cookie cutter courses. and You know what I mean? It's They aren't able to change and adapt to what's really needed. And a lot of the curriculums that they're doing is, is reused. Like, if you talk to any professor, they're like, oh, I'm teaching your class this time. And here's my notes. Go for it. And they haven't been updated or looked at in years.
0: I, I taught part-time in a college system. And I remember that very, I remember getting scolded because I had done something different. Yeah. And I added to a program or I added to a, a you know, a lecture and it was, uh, you know, you're taking them out of the box. They won't be able to pass the test. I'm like, are we teaching to a test? Yeah,
2: but they are confined. I mean, the you know, I feel bad for the school system. Yeah. They're confined with, with parents, what they want to be taught. Parents aren't a problem. So, yeah, yeah, they're confined to what the parents want to be taught. They're confined about legislation. They're confined about the multiple personalities and career avenues that all of these children want to take. You sit in a room and five of them want to be trades five want to be entrepreneurs, five want to be caregivers, There's, you have to speak to them all. You don't get to just take your five and say, come with me. right? And you don't get that in, in the school system until they allow you to branch off with maybe a high skills major, which is one or two courses, you know, in high yeah. school. It's not your entire life encompassing. I spoke with, sorry, I don't mean to cut in the quote, but... I spoke with a mother. Yeah, yesterday. we're real formal here. <laughs> I spoke with a mother yesterday. Her fifteen-year-old son. She's she's complaining about how good this this fifteen-year-old uh, is at math, but it's like exhausting to her to get him to do it. And I said because he he doesn't know how to apply it with what he loves. He loves to be passionate uh, or, or take pride in work. He loves building stuff. He loves that physical build of something and being able to see it at the end of the day. If you get him in a high skills major, shop class, he will love math again. It won't be a question, but he has to see how they apply it. And when back when I was taking my HR courses, training development was one of the modules. And I'll never forget because my teacher told me You are teaching adults. You're training and developing adults. Adults learn by how that's going to affect me. How does that benefit me? So if I'm teaching you, I have to link my curriculum to your needs individually of everyone in the room. Well, now today's kids are actually a lot wiser and more mature work-wise because parents force them to be. So a 15-year-old kid back when I was 15 was 15. A 15-year-old kid today is 18, 19. They're adults.
0: Oh, I I love that comment, and I agree with you, but let me play devil's advocate Mm because the rest of society says, no, you're wrong. (sighs) They are children until they're like 30 because they happen to live at home. Mm -hmm. So we stereotype them very quickly that Mm -hmm. since they didn't get out on their two feet the way we did and have to go through hard trials like we did, Mm -hmm. then they are still children.
2: So the... The, the children, You're right. It, uh, that is what's being said. But I'm teaching these kids, and I'm telling you, the concepts that they're able to wrap their head around, I was not able to wrap my head around because I was able to play till 15. They are not allowed to play till 15 anymore. I did
0: not get rid of my Lego till I was 16. Right? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so
2: we truly did get to be kids through up to that age before, okay, now you got a sin card, now you're going to work. So there has to be... I think meet in the middle a bridge factor of how we grew up and how they're growing up they're smart let me tell you they are so smart but they're more uh, self-encompassing which is an adult learner 100% right and what they don't get is they think that they can get on a job and be able to tell a baby boomer that's not right Mm -hmm. That is never, they don't care (laughs) if it's right or wrong. You know what I mean? The baby boomer did not get to say you You were to be seen and not heard, right? So that's where they're not matching, right? But my program moves them from your bubble wrap is off now, okay? This is not a a high school where I have rules. I drop F-bombs every third word if I have to, if I need to get their attention, because that's what they're going to see on the trade, on the construction site. I talked to them about, they have they owe you nothing. You have to prove yourself. You are lucky if you get the, the opportunity to actually touch a tool in your first year apprenticeship. Am I skipping? <laughs> on, the, on the training? You're just excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm
1: no, passionate No, about it's,
0: it's good. It's good. You identify some really big things there. And I actually want to take it back to you for a second, Nicole. Do you feel like you started your own company, you moved towards this world on, you know, you're talking training development, you're talking... You're just talking about helping people develop into good members of society with good-paying jobs and opportunities,
1: in, in the right in the right wheel set that suits with
0: what the right makes it tick,
1: yeah. So that they are successful, as opposed to forcing them to do something that you know they're not going to have the right results out of. Oh, you
0: just summarized something huge for me because that it's easy for us. How can I put it? It's easy to get a job. It really is. Mm -hmm. Like I had some cool jobs. No, not really. I had had jobs (laughs) and uh, I I really believe anyone can get a job. You can. Um, But that job will be just that. It's temporary. It's fleeting at best um, it's you're going to close on your back. Yeah. You're going to find a yeah. way to part ways, uh, yeah. intentionally or subconsciously. It doesn't matter. You're going dis- to disappear. And, um, people listening you have had jobs or you're maybe in a job where every day you're hoping to get fired because there's severance. It would just be so much better than quitting. Cause you don't want to have to explain to someone that you quit. It's easier to tell me you fire because it's okay. Cause I hate it anyways. Um, and you spend your lunch times, well, probably not. You probably spend your working time on LinkedIn and like. Uh, Indeed trying to find jobs Um, so but we've been there a lot of people have been there and it's a horrible place to be because we spend more time working than we want to admit right big portion of our lives are at work and we want to make sure we got some value in that and you might not save the world you might not change the world. But you at least want to feel like it contributed and it contributed back to you as well, right? Yeah. That's a huge thing you guys are unpacking on this. And um, I'm sure it's really easy, right? Like helping people figure out exactly what they want to do at a young age is probably really, really easy, (laughs) right? No.
1: It's so not easy. That's why the one program is nine. And I can't believe Molly does the, the STEP program in three. But it's all relative to what real life is on the job for somebody. And you could, I mean, from. And I've heard other other podcasts. I told you I was listened to a few. I know you're still but, here. <laughs> the, uh, but the, the the one particular where they talked about communication and personal skills, you know, the ability to network and ask questions properly. Like a lot of people, they don't. All that basic stuff is not learned in high school. It's not learned in post secondary education. And I spend probably in this room nine weeks with you know fifteen people every nine weeks. Doing just that. And you, you, I've tried handwritten materials, you know, where it says in bold, like, be sure to read this and do this. Exi-. They can't. They are incapable of it. So, a lot of the results that we're getting and feedback from both programs really is, is that it, it's changed, changed their lives. Because, and it, it sounds so silly and, and, you know, airy fairy so to speak right but it really does and even parents have said that to molly in regards to the program like my kid went from here to here in three weeks unbelievable but it's because it's practical it's real life and it's stuff that nobody talks to them about and maybe their parents do but who listens to the parents right
0: let me ask you this question then so where were people getting that before were and were they
1: you know what? We talk to people in the older generation. <laughs> we talked to people. We communicated all the time. And, and I think we did a lot more stand-up presentation stuff where we had to, you know, pick a topic. I think, you know, I think I did one on the piston in a car once and compared it to the three sister goddesses, you know, cause it was fun. So, but now you, you don't, you don't get that anymore.
0: Something I'm trying to unpack along the way is when did it when do we start losing this ability to communicate? Like I remember being a teenager and like if I wanted a job or want to do something, I'd walk up to the person and ask. Like there was ways yeah. to do stuff. But yeah. if I look at this generation now, they go home and try to figure it out on the computer first and try to you know and network the long way around to maybe eventually finding a really easy way for someone else to ask the question for them.
1: Yeah. Technology and, definitely plays a, plays a factor. Uh, Huge factor. Yeah, because they, they text it. You know, they text a thought, they, they text an inquiry about a job, you know, they don't, the face, face is huge. Well, they get spell checked, they get to
2: reread, is that what I'm trying to convey, you know, convey, they don't have that, I'm going to answer, right, you, you asked me a question, I truly listened to your question, and I'm going to answer, they don't have that, because they have time to think about it,
0: right? Right. And so, do you you guys feel that's a a major goal and priority in the the time you spend with them? Absolutely. Absolutely. I gauge Thank him. Thank you. Looking yeah. in the <laughs> eyes, you know, Absolutely.
1: watching them nod when they get it, you yeah. know, like because it, they could easily just look away and go off into some other place.
0: So these, these, I'm so glad to hear that you guys are putting this effort into these skills, and, and you know. I, In the time, and you said you've listened to some podcasts, so I appreciate that. Um, And in the the circles we we run in professionally, I run in professionally, and I've seen you guys in a couple of them now, and I hear about you guys a lot, and nothing but great Mm -hmm. things, so hence why we had to have this dialogue. But what we're seeing is that this, this gap is being identified. And yeah. to, to be honest, you're one of the first groups I've heard that is really being proactive in the approach that this is a focus. It, it seems to be like it's central to the programming and the conversation that yeah. I got to bring that skills conversation back around communication, around, you know, um, being affirmative about who they are, being able to present themselves, yeah. hold themselves in a conversation. Yeah. And uh, I can hear people I can just I, I know there's colleagues of mine that are going, yeah, to be respectful in their manners. And, <laughs> uh, but you know what? For all, all intents and purposes, that's actually kind of right. It's, and I yeah. teach that. I yeah. teach that in there. It's, and it's very your
1: personality, yeah. though. You have to be comfortable to let that out, but in the right ways, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's part of the fundamental, um, you know, because I, I I actually dive really deep into the different personalities that they're going to reach. Now being. In HR for 15 years, I was never a corporate HR type. I've never have been. I never will be. I don't want to be. Um, I love being on the floor. I can. I love speaking about the mechanics. About when somebody talks about their bad day on the floor, I can understand the belt conveyor versus the roller conveyor. The palletizers give me trouble. I can even contribute to the conversation because I've. Took the time to to engage. understand and engage yeah. their world, so part of my you know career had been performance managing, um, whether it's skilled or unskilled labor in manufacturing uh, settings, industrial settings. Um, is getting them motivated right so i understand the different personalities that you're gonna you're gonna run into and these are the people that are going to be doing the training for for our future you know potentials
0: we talk about this epidemic of you know, mass exodus across uh, skilled trade sectors construction and all matters and they're right But the conversation no one wants to have is like the people that are leaving aren't just the workers, right? Mm -hmm. This is the estimators, the superintendents, the health and safety trainers, the the people we take for granted who have been there for a long time. We expect uh, them to be there, but we don't think about the fact that this next generation has to be that group. Mm -hmm. And we have to teach them to get across the generations of conversation. And that was another piece I was curious about is do you, and if you do how, do you address uh, talking across four generations of workers? You have to you have
2: to help the new generation understand that where they come from and why they are the way they are. So I spent I literally a full day on this. It's a, it's crazy how much information um, you're giving them, but you have to make sure that they're actually retaining it too. So when I cover this, I talk about the different personalities, how. There's a pace setter, for instance. This person is going to be the one that wants to do their job. They do it very, very well. They don't want to chit-chat and, and get to know each other unless it's break or lunchtime. That's it. Don't bother with chit-chat because they will completely remove you from their, their peripherals and they will just do their job. But that's the person you want to learn from. Their skill level can't be taught It has to be, you have to watch and learn, and they have, you have to be the personality that they want to bring you under their wing, right? So I really teach, it's not so much employability, it's more likability, you know? Understanding that the baby boomer didn't get a car. They had to, you know, work for years. They probably didn't even have a car sometimes when they got married and had kids and had to walk, you know, wake up at 4 a.m. to walk their kids to school. There's a lot of hardships that I don't think our kids understand from, from you know, even my grandparents and my parents and their parents. They don't get it. They've never seen it. They don't. They, they they don't believe it i guess because it doesn't it just seem so far-fetched to them so when you when you make it a reality of what the hardships that they came about the reason why you have life so wonderfully knitted here with your cell phones and your xbox and all this it's because of they didn't want you to have to go through what they do so if you tell them that they care and they cared back before you were even born this is how you're going to show them respect and and you do not call them by their first name or a nickname until they say you can it's yes sir you know and it's you know how can i help you they are not going to say that to you because you can't help them right now (laughs) right or sorry they can't they can you can't say how can you help me because they're not going to want that they want to know how you can help them Right. And just putting that relative like connection, how this is going to benefit me, because the adult learning thing is how they end up being able to relate and having a little bit more empathy for the individual or sympathy. I don't know. (laughs) So depending on the story and being able to relate with them.
0: Those are huge skills, yeah. huge, huge skills. I can't believe you can get to, well, I do believe it because I've met you guys, so I can see how the impact can be uh, dynamic and intense, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad you're touching on it. But I mean, these are things that they have to develop as well. Mm-hmm. Like you're giving them the tools and hopefully the value on those tools. So where, where do you guys find you're having some struggles? Are you having any struggles with buy-in or, or taking some of these skills and... Oh yeah, I gotta let Nicole go. So I, it's don't, not a phone, I don't I, I don't want a phone call. I don't have to say goodbye.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't want to go. <laughs> because we, I well have can, a great well, answer for that. <laughs>
0: well, what we can do is we can always follow up. We can always yeah. do more. We can always do more. Is it scheduling was my fault today, so we can always pack more in here, don't worry. Awesome. That's awesome. So no. I uh, answer that though. Answer I, it. You got a minute. Yeah. Go for it.
1: Well, see now i forgot what it was all about. So
0: the, the challenges. The the, mm-hmm. the 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 getting them to um, as you unpack this stuff and get them to... Oh,
1: our biggest challenge yeah. where the hole is, is definitely uh, getting it out to employers and breaking down the barriers to and, and the biases and, and, and setting them up with an apprenticeship. You know, it's one thing to get them employed. They get to try them out for three months with a very teeny tiny subsidy. Um but, and then signing them on as apprentice, but it's bringing the employers in. The employers is, all, it's it's the biggest problem that's been the biggest problem my 30 years working with business and, and getting them engaged with youth. But it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. So and the it's new, and we're green, yeah. and it's pilot, and we've made inroads, so but I, I would like to see more.
0: Do you believe that the, the secret to success in, in um, amplifying these types of initiatives and projects is to stop spending all of our focus, our 99% of our focus on all this front-end piece and actually take a good chunk of it and bring the employer in as part of the journey?
2: We did. That's why, our, that's why our, our our program is actually developed the way that it is. We got the employer involved from the beginning.
0: See, and this is where somewhere there's a big gap. There's a lot of great, great work. And I've been yeah. in lots of rooms with really great minds doing yeah. amazing things, and we are changing lives. I've seen that. Yeah. But I look around the room, and if I do a head count... There's maybe one representative from a group of employers. There's yep. no single yep. employer. That's they're actually, all academics. There's no one in there cutting check. people, right? Yeah, yeah it's not they?
1: the right team players. Like even going back to my CITC days, community industrial training committees, every program was designed with an employer. I think we developed the very first chainsaw pants certification program because the government would come out with a legislation saying anyone working in the wood industry, you know, lumber, um, forestry, had to have chainsaw pants and there's guys who've been doing it for 25 years and now all of a sudden they need to have certification and so we quickly design that but who do we grab to do that employers right and then get the program approved through the ministry but it, so it's not just a bunch of academics sitting around not knowing anything you can't design stuff without that engagement of business and very quickly before i leave and i'm really sorry i have to leave that i just want to say something quick about the success rates right mm-hmm. because even with the youth employment readiness program we have one of the highest 93 percent success rate and usually the majority of that you know, seven percent are people asked to leave the program because they aren't ready to engage. And they're sent elsewhere. We don't leave anyone in limbo in either either situation. We always put them on to something. But we had a hundred percent retention in the STEP program. And these are and remember how I started by saying that when we had tradespeople in the employment readiness type program, they couldn't complete it. Because the instruction was wrong. With the STEP program, the instruction's right. And it just goes to show you, if you're just cookie-cutting a course and, and not knowing what you're kind of talking about and knowing how to engage those individuals interested in skilled trades, they're going to drop out too. But we had 100% start, 100%, like 100% completion
0: rate. And this is you just segued beautifully, and I know you're going to part, us, part yeah. with us here, but you just segued into the conversation that I'm going to hit Molly up with around equity.
1: Awesome. Because
0: as the series I'm doing here is about diversity, inclusion, and equity, yeah. I really want to get into this individuality conversation. And it seems like you guys are really spearheading this and doing really well. Before I get Molly to unpack those questions about equity, let me share with you that this episode of Accidental Apprentice Podcast was brought to you by Kick Ass Careers and We Ribbon Inc. We Ribbon is a trademark initiative here in Canada and the U.S. We Ribbon Inc. hopes that organizations who want to create inclusive and diverse work cultures will use their ribbon campaign to raise awareness and fundraising to support their initiatives. Organizations can get permission to use the ribbon over at kickasscareers.org. By signing the terms and conditions, you then can use the ribbon to brand your fundraiser, products, and promo material. We Ribbon Inc. returns seventy percent of all proceeds raised directly to the initiatives we ribbon Inc encourages us to treat everyone the same regardless of differences to explore how to bring your own we ribbon campaign to life visit kickasscareers.org whose mission is to engage educate and encourage youth to consider career pathways and skilled trades and technology through school and community outreach so I want to pick up on the equity piece. Mm-hmm. You know, individuality is a huge deal, and we are starting to identify. And I think you can probably unpack this way better than I do. And uh, how how do you do things to address that individual al- individuality, which I like to refer to as equity? How, how do you how do you make this training opportunity uh, maintain that level of equity? Mm-hmm. That they mm, well, I'll I'll make that second part later. How do you do that first?
2: So with my program. We, we make sure first of all that, that our groups are no more than 15, 16. I can't properly do my job um, if I can't in, get to know each individual um, myself. You know when I'm talking to a group and I could have two like one group, for instance, my first group, it was a very lively um, group. They were engaged, they were participant, They would come up with ideas, they would throw ideas in the air. And then my next group, completely all observers. It was like I was more tired dealing with the observers because I had to just pull so much more out of them to make sure that the retention is happening. It's, you know, you, I can talk all day to a group of people or even an individual, but if I if I don't feel that what I'm saying is sinking in um, and being inspiring, then it, it's, what's the point? So the individual piece is making sure I, I have the time and the resource, um, small enough group, to actually get to know each individual. And then when the program starts, we do go through fundamental points, but I use, I go by the room in order to have my examples, how it's going to affect each individual, right? It's that adult learning piece. So if I know I had two females in my last class, incredible ladies, one wanted to be a millwright, the other one wanted to be a welder, and I would actually... Um, after getting to know them individually, I would actually showcase some of the amazing stuff they did because I thought it was important um, for the rest of the class to be in awe of these individuals, to support them here before the work came out. Then halfway through my program, I put it out to the class, how are you going to support these wonderful women in the job? Knowing that there's this bias out there, knowing that there's old school mentalities, I said, I've watched... Uh, managers and foremen actually say, hey, Mike, you do the job because Jen can't do it. Right beside her. you know. So it demotivates the poor lady at the moment, you know, obviously in the moment, but it also m- motivates them on the back end because they go home and say, you know what, I'm going to show him I can do that job, and then tomorrow, what's she doing? She's working on that job and doing a better job than Mike, probably.
1: <laughs>
0: probably. No, no bias there. Right? Yeah. Well, no, and... Yeah, man. You just, it's just like every time you guys are talking, it's just like a, the iceberg, the water drops a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. So because I keep forgetting there's a massive HR background here. Mm-hmm. Like how did you how did you end up here, Molly?
2: Oh, well, I mean, being HR operations my whole career, um, I've worked very, very closely with trades. That's hiring, firing, performance management. I've created training development um, with the organizations that I've worked with, mostly around. It's not necessarily uh, the hard skill that you need to work on. I think you have that down, um, but there's how to be a more likable tradesperson and how to communicate what your needs are in order to be successful too. My success rate in turning the top, uh, or sorry, the bottom five percenters, percenters, um, performance percentages, percentage performers. You got it. (laughs) Um, It's actually quite high, it's a 98% rate. So I actually turned the bottom five percenters into the top five percenters. And that's skilled and non-skilled, so it's not just necessarily trade. But most of the time, it was because they didn't feel um, valued, you know, or somebody didn't break it down on what they actually communicated, what they actually needed. So what I taught them is how to ask. You know, how to clarify. You know, we all may be saying the same thing, but the way that I say it, my tone, and the way that the person next to me says says it, can say a whole different thing. The body language can change. So if you feel that someone's coming at you, you know, with an aggressive tone, just say, I think this is what you're saying. Is that exactly what you want me to do? And it's so simple (laughs) to just ask, but you become such an amazing employee because, one, you're getting the right um, objective or directive, and then you're able to actually execute properly. If you just get all scared because this person's being aggressive and you just say, I think this is what they want to do it, you're probably going to keep that aggressive (laughs) nature happening, right? So that's kind of where I would put that in a nutshell anyways. Yeah,
0: wow. So, with your your background mm-hmm. coming from a an operational standpoint, so it's you have an affinity to the work being done. Yes. In, in, in partnership with the training development, the HR management, all those and the pieces.
2: Successes of the workers.
0: Okay, so you yeah, and this, that's a key piece: successes mm-hmm. of the workers. So you have seen over the, uh, your career probably firsthand some of the how do I put it, some of the topics that are trying to be challenge today that maybe even were attempted to be challenged and uh, maybe some of your previous endeavors you've seen uh, around diversification of the workforce mm-hmm. and inclusion. So I would say I'm going to harbor and I guess and assume here and you can correct this. So previously um, you probably saw some effort to diversify the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been the focus. Um, how do you think things are going across all i mean you can you can pigeonhole it down to sectors or but just the world of work at large do mm-hmm. you, do you feel like this diversity conversation has come away at a distance and, and where are we with it
2: yeah i think uh, there's kind of two parts to that so there's the employer um, part and then there's the union part um, very much there's still bias 100% um, there there's tons of tons of bias the bias that I've heard, and luckily you know I have managers that are willing to be open and honest enough with me, and I will not say their names <laughs> of course um, but you know I've had managers say uh, there's the physical aspect that they think that women don't have to slug 80 pound pipe when the woman herself is eighty pounds um, so there's the physical aspect that they're concerned about um, because there is a safety factor with that physical you know slugging pipe or carrying large motors and stuff like that but what they don't realize is there's plenty of men that can't slug pipe either, anyhow mm-hmm. pipe either. So I think they, they just, and, and it's not like that's not in their brain, it's just they just associate with years of, this is what you know, the female has always done, carried the light paperwork yeah. you know, mm-hmm. instead of the hard work. But then they you know, get convinced by someone like me to hire a female, a uh, right, and she comes in and she's like, amazing. <laughs> and then they're like, why? You know, they kick themselves in the butt. And, and then at that point, they're more open. Um, but then again, they, they're also talking to their confidants, which aren't usually in the workplace. They're usually um, their parents or their neighbor, you know, that was a journeyman, retired or whatnot. So th- that's where they, they, their confidants are giving them information that that's all they know. You know, so we have to kick that bias for sure. The other bias comes um, from women are emotional. Men are emotional too. I'm telling you from an HR standpoint, the majority of people that came in to complain to me on a regular basis were actually men. So we're both that way.
0: I, I, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. Yeah. I think we're worse. Yeah. I think legitimately we're worse. <laughs> and, and I know people that are going to say, no, you're just worse. I'm like, yeah, well, there we go. We're right down that rabbit hole. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I've... Having worked construction for well over a decade, uh, yeah, I think we're we're uh, we're we're no uh, we're no prize when it comes to uh, the drama and the emotion of the workplace.
2: It's everywhere. It it's doesn't matter what sex you are. It really doesn't. No, it's not. Yeah. It's it,
0: no one owns it. No, no. And uh, do do you feel like there has been some form of progress though yes. at all on a positive note? I do. Okay, so there has been.
2: I actually, I have a lot of. Um, my husband is a local 46er. Um,
0: which and is a UA pipe fitters, so yep. people know pipe yep.
2: fitters and plumbers. Yep, and and he himself has said that he's had the pleasure of working with quite a few female uh, welders, and he is the number one uh, go females go in welding because they do such an amazing job. Um, so i i definitely know that my generation is is on board. Um, the other piece, though, I want to talk about it for the you know my our generation and above or before us, is the, the they're scared to let women in um, because this is their boys club. You know
0: what though? It's um, I've seen that myself firsthand, and not from necessarily um, a female perspective, mm-hmm. but actually just seeing the different generations engage. Mm-hmm. So when you see the the next generation show up on the uh, you know their once a month meetings or even the job site meetings or whatever. And they start to vocalize, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can see that. You can oh, see that, that disruption. Yeah. Um, We're but,
2: confident now. We will tell you how we Yeah, do. but We're in gonna. a really
0: good, a good, a feel-good story part of this is that actually watching that, we have seen, and uh, those that don't agree that they've seen it, they're just not looking for it. Uh, if you take a quick, quick look, you'll see that that multi-generational involvement in hearing the different perspectives has actually rapidly developed a lot of initiatives, a lot of just even just the the union mentality and presence of these uh, associations have really grown quickly yeah. uh, because of that, and it, you you see that from a, a a corporate world, a union world, a nonprofit world. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You bring in a different generation, different perspectives. You bring someone from a different culture, background, sex, whatever age. It changes it in a good way. That at least there's a dialogue that isn't always everyone saying the same message, yes. and that is always positive, right? Um, you have to stop and question things, so. I look at it as like the age was the first domino that has fallen. Mm-hmm. It's taken a really long time to hit the next one. Um, it's hitting it. And I feel like it's leaning, but it's not quite fallen yet. And I feel like that next domino, and I'm going to say, I, I believe the next domino is women. Mm-hmm. Where are we going next though? Is that so yeah, let's, 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 let's do two questions. Okay. First, the, the conversation that construction skill trades um, are, uh, they don't discriminate. They don't, they don't limit anyone that wants to apply. If you want to apply, it doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, if you're a new Canadian, if you're if you're black, you're white, it doesn't matter. If you have the skill or the desire and the interest and that you can be a construction skilled trade worker, no matter what, nor the craft. You know, is, that a, is that a fair statement?
2: That they don't discriminate. Um, I wouldn't actually just limit it to just um, trades and construction. It's, it's em- employment everywhere, and there's discrimination everywhere. Absolutely, there's there's 100% discrimination everywhere. Not not 100% of people are discriminatory, um, but it's everywhere. I mean, yes, we are definitely on the right path, Um, but I think that the focus has always, you know, as, and I speak from my own experience because uh, you know, white female, blonde hair, blue eyes. It's different for me. I don't understand the struggle of somebody that is of a different race. Um, I understand the female aspect. And, and I don't know if people are necessarily doing it on purpose, it's that underlying, it's that um, you know, so subconscious that may be coming out because of what their parents or their parents' parents believed and whatever, experience but our focus is in the wrong direction. It's not, okay, let's just open all the doors for anybody that's, you know, um, not Canadian or, you know, Canadian born or English or French or whatever, it's, Why don't we understand what they're going through? You cannot help anybody if you don't understand the individual. You know, it it doesn't matter religion, sex, color of skin, it doesn't matter if you, it's the individual. That individual that maybe, you know, from East India um, had a way different experience than the female from Africa. You know what I mean? It's, if if you, stop treating them as like it's a group of people we need to understand. It's not. It's the individual you need to understand. Find out what were your hardships. Why are you not so quick to trust me? Is it, is it because I'm white? Because I'm a female? Because maybe there's some, some things we can relate to to help get on that trusting path and, and help, e- help one another. Right?
0: So in oh, I, I agree with every, every bit of that. Um, as all sectors of work, are some are doing better jobs than others, some have been at it longer than others, but as they all start to face the real challenge of creating inclusive environments, mm-hmm. um, what, what advice or what, what simple or quicker steps could you share with people that maybe it would be a smart move? I think you touched on some of it where you're, you're really touching into that equity conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and is equity the fastest route, do you think, to inclusion? And I feel like inclusion and equity in my education process that I'm getting from doing this podcast is that they really go hand in hand. I, I feel there's a lot to them together. And I, I wonder, um, and maybe you can share this and help explain this a little bit. Um, I wonder, is equity uh, maybe the secret to the success of inclusion?
2: Well, I think I think equal opportunity, yes. Um, I don't think any individual is, is going to be even keel with everybody else on like that playing field. I think that, you know, one woman can bring something, you know, to the table, maybe like a troubleshooting puzzle Um, completion kind of focus and then another woman can actually bring some brawn you know so i don't think we can lump anybody in one one circle or or playing field i think it it starts with the individual it's looking past the surface i mean if we could all wear blinders i think that would Mm. start but i do have to say from my experience with teaching the the next generation the millennials they're there
1: Oh, they're they're, are, they are. They're already there. Yeah.
2: So I don't think we have any, have any worries about what the future is going to look like with equity and inclusion. But I think it's very important that we we start very, very young, um, you know, mixing cultures at a very young age because when you're young, you don't see the difference.
0: No. I agree with you that this generation has a, much deeper tolerance for like, okay, there's not, we don't have time for that. Yes, Like we got to worry about the fact that everyone's projecting us to live with our parents till we die. So we need to tackle that challenge. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you know, everyone says that we have the sense of entitlement and everybody owes us everything. And I don't necessarily think that generation actually lives with that mentality. I think there's a, there's a few apples like every generation and that's what everyone wants to focus on. But the vast majority of them I often share with them that um, and any millennials listening and and iGen, you're even scarier. Um, You guys are terrifying (laughs) because you represent all the change in the world. We've wanted to happen Mm -hmm. packaged into one pretty bubble. That's coming right at us and it's, and it's coming fast and you embody them and you represent all of it.
2: We pack hard punches. Yeah. (laughs) It's all of it. And
0: like, and you can handle all of it. So um, when you see the world of work, I wonder if there's a a little bit of apprehension and uh, you know, confidence being a thing going, wow, like they're going to, they're going to uh, supplant us very quickly they're going to push us away very quickly and the reality is that new generation isn't looking to take and push anybody out of the way mm-hmm. they actually just want to come participate mm-hmm. and, and there's a real disconnect with that so you know we see and I, I look at what the work that you guys are doing here with step and you're helping to bridge you know a different education system today mm-hmm. and we've had that for easily the past 20 years we've had a much different education system that has tons of value. Mm-hmm. It gets crapped on all the time but it has tons of value. Um, but it's different, mm-hmm. and that's why it gets crapped on. So, we're packed, you guys are unpacking that into the world of work that predominantly hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot. And you guys are trying to serve as a bridge. Mm-hmm. So, a small task, an easy task, and you got to do it on funded dollars. Mm-hmm.
2: Limited, <laughs> funded <laughs> yeah, dollars. limited funded <laughs> dollars
0: in short windows of opportunity. Yeah. Um, so, building relationships amongst this group, uh, I have to guess, I would assume that the participants themselves there has to be some focus on them building relationships with each other oh yeah because
2: we we day one is all about networking within the room Uh, so I love that you touch upon all these needs because it's it just solidifies that you know what we're what we're doing on a daily basis actually is truly having real impact Um, I know from the you know the years in being in HR and working with, you know, supervisors and managers and their hiring needs and their complaints about new employees, old employees, I know what they ask for, and it, none of it was ever really skill. And, and it's funny because back when I started in HR. We were only told to hire for skill. We were never, well, who cares if they're a fit? You know what I mean? If they, we love the diverse personalities. Nobody loved the diverse personalities. Uh, HR was very busy back then.
0: <laughs> makes for good television.
2: Yeah, So to- yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, So now it's it's completely changed. You know, it's the it's it's hiring about fit. You can train skill. You can train someone how to properly swing a hammer. You can train somebody how to follow the pipeline and find a leak. But you cannot train somebody to fit with your personality or complement your personality. So you know, employers are getting smarter. They're you know less. They're very good at the lessons learned, but they also have typically have the, the monetary backing to do trial and error. So throughout, you know, the involvement the, um, of my career and the involvement that I've seen of employers, you know, they, they play a huge part in what they need to succeed, you know? So I took everything that I've learned and all the complaints basically made by employers to package it in a nice little this is how you are going to be the optimal employee whether you are a welder or a millwright or but obviously within the trade environment because that's where the shortage is. And another problem that we kind of be, we're battling is we've cried wolf for so long. I mean, I remember being a kid and saying, oh, the trade shortage, you know what I mean? So that's like 20 years ago and nobody believes him now. My own husband's a trades worker and he's like, I don't believe it. They've been saying that for 10 years.
0: Oh, I just, I came from, again, I came from a thing this morning. I heard the the numbers announced once again. And I heard like a, uh, a monotone groan amongst the folks in the room that are tradespeople. Yeah. They are, are affiliated in some, some way, shape, or form. They just grunted. Oh, yeah. And then there was a, there's an advocacy group in the room as well. And they, you hear a quick little, yay, come out. And it's <laughs> like, wow, like, again, we're we're dividing on yeah. this topic because it's just, we hear it too much. Yep. Um, and it is unfortunate. No matter what... what where the accuracy with this is and when we see it unfold it doesn't change the fact that what you guys are doing with step is integral because mm-hmm. regardless of the the labor element of the the numbers that are going to be needed the real work that needs to be done is that bridging mm-hmm. of the new education system to the old world of work and I, and that world of work is changing mm-hmm. but what drives that change is bringing that new generation in mm-hmm. and helping them with the have the appropriate skills to blend mm-hmm. and to push it forward mm-hmm. And I have to commend you guys for that because, uh, again, I hear the accolades from a lot of people that have worked with you guys. And so it's, it's been resonating really deeply. And then to, uh, have a couple of meetings with you guys now and see what you're doing and hear the conversations. I'm, I'm scared if you actually had like six weeks with the individuals as opposed to three. I mean, I think they'd be taking the world over.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's, there is definitely a ton of content to be touched upon, um, and could be expanded, but you don't want to lose the millennial either. They're used to getting information very quickly at their fingertips and being able to apply that right away so that they can see the results right away. So if you extend too far, especially in a trades um, section, without actually hands-on building, um, ability you you will lose some of the enthusiasm and motivation so that's why I like the three weeks you
0: really thought this out yeah nice yeah, yeah I threw that when I see what the cover would be that no. was good because <laughs> there's a lot of pre-apprenticeship programs like I wrestle with that do you guys identify yourself as a pre-apprenticeship program or not
2: um, no I guess I've never thought of it that way great no. because
0: I'm not this is personal mm-hmm. I'll say this I struggle with the identity of a pre-apprenticeship program um, Some of the elements you're talking about, which you guys do a step, I would feel would would should should be done in a pre-apprenticeship program. Mm. But here's the problem to be selected for the pre-apprenticeship program. You actually have to have the tangibles that you're talking about with the communication and networking and affirmation of character and that kind of stuff like that's coming out of uh, the work you're doing. Right. Now, there's a misconception that people think they're going to get that out of a pre-apprenticeship program. But the problem is you need that to get there. Right. So there's a there's a bit of a gap and disconnect there. There's so then, many disconnects. Well, and then you get into the pre-apprenticeship program, which they're so different everywhere you go. And some are geared towards um, diversity. Some are geared towards just the specific trade. Some are geared as like a trial basis to see if you're going to work out. and everyone has a different opinion of what their program represents Mm -hmm. that isn't always conveyed to the participant. So they don't know when they're in there, like am I in a program that's built for diversity? Am I in a program that is like, okay, this is just a good environment for me to try it out and not cost an employer any money Mm -hmm. or what, what am I? And a lot of times that's not even conveyed. And I don't even hold the instructors accountable because sometimes they don't know. So you run into that problem. Then the person at this point still isn't an apprentice. Mm -hmm. Like they're not, and and they, they think in some capacity, they're, they're maybe there and they're not even sure of it yet. And they don't even understand, in most cases, haven't even explained yet. There's a document for a sponsorship on getting started.
2: Or they hit the ground uh, the, uh, where they could potentially become uh, sponsored and they get eaten alive. <laughs> yeah, because
0: they have no idea, right? Yeah. So I, I struggle with I, I struggle with the apprentice pre-apprenticeship programs. That
2: the, you know, the private sect, uh, um, training centers aren't being as well recognized as the colleges. And the colleges are actually getting a bad rap for not actually having the full tangibles that the training center has.
0: I, yeah, I agree. it's like a I, I feel like it's a start of a really bad 80s cartoon <laughs> where they just would come together. <laughs> It'd be like that one giant lion, and the way they go. Uh, I had to put my reference for no, my age. Yeah, yeah, I had to throw the age part in there because you kept talking like I'm older than you, and I'm like, hold on, I think we're around the same age here. So no, I gotta pull this back a little bit. Um, Wow. Okay. So we touched on diversity. Touch on quickly. Okay. Um, will women save the world of work?
2: They can fill a very large gap. A very, very, and and they're into it. That's the crazy thing. It's not like we have to really sell it all that hard, to be honest. I mean, we've seen this huge influx. Uh, We had seven applications in the last three weeks, I want to say, of women in their 30s that we went back to uh, the government and said, hey, that we're seeing a trend. Can we open the door a little bit wider? And luckily the support on that end um, has been incredible they like if we say we see a niche we want to tackle it now they've been on board you know whereas typically back when you get funding what your proposal says is it and that's done we've had so much amazing support and saying we're look how much we're helping these are the stats these are the numbers how successful we are um how happy people are with this program and asking for it to be even before they finish high school for heaven's sakes you know and then how can we expand here? Can we expand there? And they're all saying yes.
0: Do you see a possibility, and, and, and you say what you want, and Nicole can listen to it later. Do you see a possibility for you guys to help facilitate some sort of programming to be able to bridge employers and training? I mean, the the, the pipe dream I've got mm-hmm. is like, a, is like a, a training center where the skilled trades from whatever sector, whether it's construction, industrial, agriculture, landscaping, anything, they have the ability to come, uh, the training delivery agents can come, have their trade, and have their craft, have some instructors, spend a week or two with the students, getting them a, a nice deep exposure to that trade, uh, get their hands into there, have some curriculum they can do, and then they move on to the next trade. And they can do it all in a centralized location. That way it's not a work site, so you can do it on the age of 18, and away we go. So how are you guys doing that when are you doing it?
2: Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because my, you know, this pipe dream conversation that Nicole and I had with, you know, her complaining and me giving all these, you know, we should do this, we should do that, and then actually just doing it. That's how you got here, right? Yeah, exactly how we got here. (laughs) Um, I've been thinking about this for years. You know, I've watched tradespeople come in that were... Very skilled, but just lacked the the soft skills, the employability skills, and that's how I turn those bottom five percenters into the top five percenters. Um, but what the what and some school boards are, are ahead of others, so I can't encompass them all. Um, but they need to; t- those kids need to test drive all of it. They need to test drive the entrepreneur stuff, they need to test drive you know woodworking, metalworking. they need to test drive that stuff long before high school. So I don't think that there's a place for me to be involved physically other than maybe advisory on, on that level, but our program 100% should be with every grade 12 student that is looking for a trade career that knows that's their career because they will struggle on the job. And it's not because they're not smart, it's not because they're not confident, it's not because they don't have physical ability, it has nothing to do with that. They just need the personal um, social game to be so much higher and to be more understanding, less selfish, more empathy, more diplomacy, you know? It, it's. They, they only see what they hear on social media. You've got Trump you know, doing his thing, talking, this is what works for him, and unfortunately they do show, oh, this is what you know, is, is benefiting from him, but they're not showing all the stuff that's falling apart because of him either. So it all depends on what their parents listen to. Um, what their friends are listening to, um, what their environment is. So if you plant the seed early on, you will get those those gung ho and, and, and the eastern Europe you have, Europe does this. I, I can speak and attest to um, I've had millwrights and electricians from germany russia ukraine croatia and they're magnificent they aren't just an electrician they are a mechanic a plumber a pipe fitter because they start in high school Mm. they do all this mandatory now it's mandatory for all men (laughs) yeah um so another another problem yes yes but but canada has the ability to be so much forward more forward thinking because we are inclusive of women already It's like we have we have the support we're here um, you know so we can we can take a model that's significantly contributed to other countries in the older worlds because we are fairly young and fairly new but we are so much more forward Mm -hmm. thinking in a lot of ways especially when it comes to just our everyday um, you know being a human being we're Mm -hmm. just so much more ahead and we can encompass that today you know if we include all kids get to build a little circuit board and or you know drill some holes into you do different tools in a shop class before they have to pick their skills major oh, then you will see how many kids will stop navigating with their friends and going to that high school and start actually picking the high school that's going to benefit fit their next four years of fun learning yeah you know no, and
0: and you got this I mean really when we talk about uh the age of society like in Canada we feel like we're this like long-standing uncle in the world and and we are we are a child we yeah. are an infant yeah. like you're talking about european culture cultures that have been doing skilled trades for no okay. no yeah it's not years it's not decades it's centuries yeah. centuries <laughs> and we have organizations in this country that maybe have just hit their century mark yeah. and there's organizations and there are trades and guilds and and what have you in the, in the european that look at us like are you kidding me like you know, we did that 900 years ago. We, we were at that stage of the game. Right. So, but we, then we look at the social development piece that yeah. you talked about. Like we have come a long way incredibly quickly mm-hmm. and there is so much potential, but we have to, I, I do agree. We don't have to be, uh, we got to not be ignorant to think that we've, we're doing it differently and faster. That makes it better. Mm-hmm. We need to draw on some of the successes that are seen across mm-hmm. the globe and then take the things that we are doing to, to create the diversity and inclusion back that together, we we probably can catch up a lot of ground.
2: For sure. And and with that being said, is with change comes some failure, ups and downs. So we do have to have a level of patience and forgiveness because we, like you said, we are a baby and, and it's just like an apprentice. You, if you don't let them fail, they're not going to truly learn. Now you're obviously not going to say, Hey, apprentice Millwright, Go stand under that palletizer without, you know, making sure you're locked out, tagged out to learn a lesson. But that's the same thing, you know, with our world and where we need to move forward in, in the trades
0: spectrum. Well wow, I mean. You really are a trading professional. You brought that right back to an apprentice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well done well listen um what what other words of advice or thoughts uh would you share with people that are thinking about skill trades whether it be uh young men young women let's try let's you know let's ta- talk about pe- people who don't who maybe are thinking skilled trades but are struggling to see themselves there because they don't see people like themselves there mm-hmm. what, what advice would you give those types of people
2: so, like, you're talking about like maybe their environment doesn't kind of pump up the. Yeah, like the they, they could they
0: could be from an academic background. Like the parents okay. could be academics. They could be uh, visible minorities. They could be women. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think, I think there's there's individual challenges. Yeah. But I do think there's some bigger conversations that kind of encompass everybody in this. Is that um, you know the stigma pushes a lot of a lot of people away, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. minorities and women. It pushes a lot of people away. Yep. Um, what You know, you have spent a lot of time in the trades. You're doing work to help uh, connect the next generation of worker and, and fill those uh, essential skills or soft skill gaps to get them prepared to basically take over the world, which yep. is awesome. So what advice would you give those people that are, you know, staying more than an arm's length away from something that there might be an inkling of interest?
2: Um, so twofold. Um, I, I, I would... First off, for the student, I would say your best bet is to connect with your counsellors. Some school boards have pathway counsellors, I believe they're called, and others have uh, guidance counsellors. Um, now, not every guidance counsellor or pathway counsellor is, is well versed in the trade itself, but they are well versed in, in getting you connected. So that's your starting point, is getting connected, getting more information. Um, I, I've had kids that come and say, I want to be an electrician. Well, why? Well, my uncle is one. Well, but do you do you like working with six thousand volts of energy a day? He's like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. And then and then we talk more, and I'm like, well, what do you really like? Like, he's like, I like video games. Well, what about the video games? Like the graphics, the actual hand movements that you can figure out. You know, um, the up, up, down, down. You know, pass that, that's a blast yeah. From the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, back, back, forward, forward. That kind of stuff. Like the You know, the the codes, I guess. Or is it just you know what I mean? The the sitting and fighting and not having you know any thinking about anything else that stresses you so little things in their life actually tell them what they are going to be good at and what they're going to enjoy and bringing that to life so having a conversation with someone like an HR professional a career guidance counselor will help them identify um, their needs to be happy in a career And then, hopefully, those counsellors can help them connect with somebody in that career level so it can dig a little bit deeper into into moving forward. The second portion that's very imperative, and I've talked to actual journey people, um, that would say 100% I would never let my daughter be in the trade, and it's unfortunate because what they grew up with was probably a toolbox full of pinups and, you know, and this and that and male chauvinism and whatever it was. But what they don't know is that millennials are not those people, not a chance. Your daughter is very safe in this world moving forward. Very, very, very safe. And if ever there was a moment where she wasn't, let me tell you, the Me Too movement is coming and crashing hard on you. <laughs> so.
0: Well, and the thing is, I think there's more champions in that Me Too movement inside of the... And I can speak to the construction uh, skill trades. There's more champions in there. Yeah. Actually, one of the things that I think the construction construction skilled trades is working on and should be working on is how to uh, have those uh, champions supported mm-hmm. to, to lead, to lead, to show them to lead. That it's okay to lead, and, and give them the tools and, and the time. Yeah. And uh, it only benefits Every, within industry, within the employment, the employers, and the the unions, and and even the non union sector. They're all in the same conversation. They recognize that. Advocacy and championing is one of the best ways for inclusion mm-hmm. and uh, leading by example. So it is there, it is certainly there. And uh, you're right, though, the millennial has changed a lot of things already and uh, they get a lot of bad raps, but I love it.
2: They got to be just a little bit better on rejection, though. Just because someone says no does not mean that it's the end of the world. (laughs) Hey, listen, you
0: give them 15 years in education system where they don't hear no, and then we put them in the world where, you know, again, that's where I look to STEP and what you guys are doing. So if people are interested in your program, interested in your endeavors and and want to know more about STEP, they want to know more about maybe they're interested in joining the program, they know people that want to be the program, how do they find you guys?
2: Uh, You can reach uh, myself on LinkedIn um, under ExpressHR. Um, There's also uh, Interconnection Research, which is Nicole's uh, business, and OCNI, the um, Organization of Canadian Nuclear Industries, is also a partner of ours. So any one of us, um, the email, the informational email is step at ocni.ca.
0: Perfect. Okay. And I'll have links to all that stuff in the show description of that. So cool. Cool. Any other final final parting words?
2: No, I think this has been awesome. Awesome. Thanks for letting me talk my butt off. (laughs) Awesome. Well,
0: thank you so much, Molly, for coming on. And uh, for everyone, that's another episode of Accidental Apprentice. Take care.